I'm Doug Storm. Welcome to Interchange. Our show is Jose Marti, The Whole Revolution. Yo soy un hombre sincero, de donde crece la palma y antes de our music for the show comes from Pablo Milanes, who set several of the poems of José Martí to music and released them in 1973 as Versos Sencillos de José Martí, or Simple Verses. Milanes, born in 1943, is a Cuban singer-songwriter and guitar player and one of the founders of the Cuban Nueva Trova. Yo vengo de todas partes. This is Yo Soy Hombre Sincero. I am an honest man. The first poem in Marti's collection, Versos Sencillos, published in 1891 as the U.S. Senate was considering authorizing negotiations with Spain to purchase Cuba. These lines come near the end. All is beautiful and unceasing, all is music and reason, and all, like the diamond, is carbon first, then light. Oculto en mi pecho bravo, la pena que me lo hiere. In 1882, José Martí, Cuban revolutionary leader and poet, singled out for disdain the prevalent idea that, quote, there could be no theme better, more stimulating or conducive to depth and grandeur than the study of oneself. That idea remains ascendant. It is a tenet of this culture that expressing who you are is the ultimate right and freedom. And we can now adapt Descartes' Western European proof of existence, I think, therefore I am, to I tweet, therefore I am, or more desperately, I am followed on Twitter, therefore I am. And what about the insistence upon choice as another pillar of freedom and a foundation for happiness? The more choices we have, surely the happier we'll be, especially if there are no constraints on how or what we can choose. This is described as negative liberty, or freedom from interference and imposition. Look to yourself, know your heart, listen to your inner voice, and go your own way, and be sure that nobody treads on you. To José Martí, such liberty is false, believing that it undermines knowledge and understanding that someone who looks inside themselves for the grounds of personal freedom risks delusion. Such a person, believing the myth of the self-made man, is like an oyster in its shell, seeing only the prison that traps him and believing in the darkness that it is the world. Today on Interchange, we confront the insidious myth of individualism and consider Marti's philosophy of interconnectedness as contrast. Our guest is Susan Babbitt, She's an associate professor of philosophy at Queen's University, Kingston, Canada, author of Jose Marti, Ernesto Che Guevara, and Global Development Ethics. She's also a frequent contributor to Counterpunch. Jose Marti, who would die in the Cuban Revolution against Spain at the age of 42, believed that knowledge and understanding is a collective construction, and that ideas do not originate within us, but come to us through our cultural institutions, like the family, churches, and schools, and our system of laws. And that what is expressed when you express yourself is this collective mind. If your culture is imperial, slaveholding, and expansionist, what kind of self can you express? Donde crece la luz, 
Uh, Susan, let's uh, let's talk about your your the title of your most. This is your most recent book, right? Jose Marti, Ernesto Che Guevara, and Global Development Ethics: The Battle for Ideas. That's right. Let's take that apart, right? So there's a lot in that title, and uh, the book uh, uh, covers all those things. So let's start with Jose Marti. Jose Marti was the leader of the last independence war by Cuba against Spain. He is known as a revolutionary for independence, but his his uh, he was distinct from a lot of revolutionary leaders because he believed that independence would never be fully achieved without a liberation from um, the ideas that were being instilled in Latin Americans by the dominance of Europe. Mm. And what what year was this, Susan? Well, Marti died in 1895. He died young. He was only 42. And that was at the very beginning of the last independence war, which ended very badly for Cuba because the United States intervened against Spain. Lenin later called it the first imperialist war. Mm. It was a humiliating defeat for Cuba. And astonishingly, Marti, I mean, you could say looking at his military career that he was a failure. Mm -hmm. But what has really intrigued me was the power of his thinking. Mm It, it's you read through his work, and this is not just Marti. It's the the philosophers that preceded him that wanted independence right from the beginning of the nineteenth uh, century. Okay, so uh, um, Marti is a, a philosopher, not uh, not a warrior per se, right? So he's this is the the important part I think to understand a lot of this background. We've had a couple of shows on on Cuba here to try to understand the history of the. Island, and you're you're looking at the philosophy of a couple of people in particular, but the philosophers that go come before Marti, right? So back into the what, 1830s and 40s? Yeah, 18, starting around the, the beginning of the 1800s, really the mm. the end of the previous century with uh, Felix Varela. Mm. And this is something people don't know about Cuba that the Cuban Revolution arose out of a long philosophical tradition, and it wasn't Marxist. Marti was not a Marxist. Mm-hmm. Now, he coincided with Marx and he admired Marx, but he doesn't, in 27 volumes of work, he only cites, mentions Marx a couple times. So that tradition was naturalistic, humanistic, realist, strongly opposed to European liberalism from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's what's quite remarkable. Mm. Because in the 20th century, in the tradition that I teach, analytic philosophy, some of the arguments have arisen, arguments similar to the arguments made by those early independence activists in Cuba, but not so comprehensive as the arguments that they were making. Was it an intentional, like um, liberalism uh, as we know it, uh, I guess comes before Mill, but Mill is one of our sort of first really um, thorough explicators of of the idea, right? Yeah, that's right. And liberalism is a term that gets tossed around Mm -hmm, today. And people have said to me, well, that term is so general, it should just be retired. But the thing is that liberalism philosophically is a very precise view. It has certain premises that are quite 
precise and unique to that view. For example, there is the view that in order for me to act on my interests as an individual, not morally, but just as an individual person with certain idiosyncratic desires, preferences, and life plans, for me to act on my interests, I act on my deep-seated desires, preferences, and life plans as long as I can reason well instrumentally and I have true beliefs. That's the view of what it means for somebody to be acting on their own, freely, so to speak. And it translates into a view of freedom, which Isaiah Berlin called the negative view of freedom. It's a view according to which, put simply, right? Mm -hmm. Roughly, it's the view that I'm free as long as I do what I want, as long as I I, I don't have barriers in front of me. Mm -hmm. So it's a view, it's called negative view of freedom because it's a view about the removal of barriers. Freedom from. Freedom from, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And that view now... I would say, dominates the humanities as taught in North America and Northern Europe. How do we, uh, what's the other view then, the pos- what's positive freedom then, or positive liberty? Marx's view, Aristotle had this view also, it's the view that I'm free if I realize my u- unique human potential. Hmm. So I'm free not when I do what I want because I could in fact be doing what I want and and be failing to realize my human potential. But for 25 years that I taught students, I found it almost impossible to convince anyone of the positive view of freedom. The response I always would get was, well, who's to say? <laughs> you see? And, and, and right, what that right. shows is a deeper uh, cultural... Um, a belief in in North American and perhaps developed so-called developed societies in the North that there is no higher authority on what it means to live a good life than myself. Right, right. I am the ultimate authority on what it means to have a good life. Now, Marx didn't believe that. And Marti didn't believe it, sir, definitely. Mm-hmm. The reason it was so clear to Marti and his predecessors that that was a naive and dangerous view was because they knew imperialism. Mm. And they knew imperialism is dehumanizing. And those early Cubans in the, in the beginning of the 19th century faced four empires. Spain, UK, USA, and slavery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Slavery was what they called a necessary evil. They, they wanted to know, how are we going to get rid of this? It was an institution, a global institution at that time. Mm-hmm. And they knew imperialism uh, before Lenin named it right. at the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They knew imperialism. These were priests. They weren't radical. Right. But they knew, they knew that... The way that all these empires that they were facing, in order for them to be independent, to have freedom, they had to find a way to think. Yeah, that's, that's the important the important thing to talk about, and and you 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 touched it already. The fact that as you taught these uh, taught classes, you had trouble sort of um, uh, you know having uh, a way to affect a particular perspective that your stu- students had already. They couldn't necessarily understand understand maybe the points you were trying to make uh, because of the the conceptual frameworks they grew up under. Yeah, 
That's right. And uh, and it's not just the students. I'm not blaming them. Sure. I, re- I really blame my colleagues and our institutions, our university institutions, where it's virtually impossible to – I mean, we stopped teaching Marx, right, in 1990. I would say that it, in, in the humanities, we, we caved to public opinion because – Anybody who knows Marx even a little bit knows he had nothing to do with the Soviet Union philosophically. Mm-hmm. Lenin knew before he died that the Soviet Union couldn't be Marxist. And uh, Marx himself said, all I know is I'm not a Marxist. Right, right, right. And so, you know, those who called themselves Marxist uh, were, were not or, or could not really follow what Marx said. Because Marx's view is a view of... Uh, of respecting individual freedoms, but he had a different conception of what it means to be individually free, and that's what we've just been talking about. For Marx, for individuals, for individuals to have their freedom, they need resources, they need community, we need uh, institutions that support us in our thinking. Marx realized that we don't think alone, mm-hmm. you see. You, this is what's wrong with the with liberalism. It, it's such an unscientific view. That's what the Latin Americans saw. I mean, they it it doesn't respect the fact that we are we are subject to cause and effect, just like every other part of the universe. Right. And so, how I think as an individual is dependent upon how my society thinks. Right. Because I have to use concepts to think, and those concepts come from society. Right. So when you're thinking according to this inner voice that Mill glorified, you're thinking like everyone else. <laughs> right. And that's what the, was so clear to those early Latin American independence uh, activists. Yeah, so recognizing the, the, how, how thinking happens is a key issue here, right? Rep- recognizing right. What, what is a, what yeah. the ways in which we come to know the world uh, and, and being honest about it as well. So one can that's imagine right. that uh, after all these years of understanding that the majority of people who might posit these views must understand that, that the social uh, – that their, their social environment is relevant to what they think. That, yeah, and, and, and I think people do understand that, but they don't draw the conclusions mm. because we are so convinced of this negative view of freedom, so-called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vierte corazón tu pena donde no se llega a ver it's time for a break. This is Vierte Corazón Tu Pena. Heart, pour out your grief. Out of Martí's Versos Sencillos. More on José Martí and the revolution in thinking. When Interchange returns on WFHB. sufres, tú aposentas en tu regazo amoroso todo mi amor doloroso todas mis ansias y afrentas tú porque yo pueda en calma amar y hacer bien conscientes en enturbiar tus corrientes con cuanto me agobia el alma Porque yo cruce fiero la tierra y sin odio y puro te arrastras pálido y duro mi amoroso compañero. 
vida si se encamina al cielo limpia y serena y tú me cargas mi pena con tu paciencia divina Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm, and this is Interchange. Our guest is philosopher Susan Babbitt, and our show is about José Martí's revolution in thinking and how it contrasts sharply with the liberalism that has been the foundation of Western political thought and culture since the Scottish Enlightenment. To Martí and his follower Che Guevara, to be independent is to recognize the cage that is the unscientific notion of individualism. The, these are the questions that we're confronting, right? How, how we know if someone's thinking well? You know, how, how do we know uh, which communities of thought are, are you know, how, how do we valorize certain things? And, and, you know, the question, I think, in looking at Cuba in particular and these thinkers that you discuss is that this is, this is their goal, right? To figure out how, how they are human. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's really remarkable that in 1895, at the beginning of that war for independence, when their goal was not just liberation for Cuba, but for Latin America. Right. You know, because Simon Bolivar, he died uh, depressed about independence. He'd liberated all those countries, but he realized that the that the 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 hurdle for Latin American independence was not the Europeans; it was Latin Americans themselves mm. who wanted to be like Europeans. Europe, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Martí knew this problem, and his predecessors knew that problem, and so they launched into this war in 1895. And they had created a single revolutionary party. And um, Martí and Máximo Gómez uh, wrote the manifesto, the Monte Cristi Manifesto to launch that war. Mm-hmm. And in it, I mean, you can take a look. I think it's really striking. They said that one of the goals of the Cuban Revolutionary Party was, in fact, the nature of ideas. Mm. The nature of knowledge, that's a fundamental philosophical question. And they saw that as a goal of the revolutionary party. Hmm. Because in order to have, because they knew that in order, and this follows from what Bolivar discovered, they knew that in order for them to have independence, they had to change their thinking. And Marti's revolution has been called a revolution in thinking. Hmm. And if you read through those 27 volumes, I haven't done it, but I've read a lot of it, you find the question of knowledge is throughout the whole thing. Hmm. And when people have read Marti and they think he's a liberal, you know, because, you know, he's presented as, as by some as being opposed to the Cuban Revolution. Hmm. But the people who read him like that, they don't read what he said about thinking. Hmm. And they don't see that all of everything he said is completely incompatible with liberalism. It's incompatible with that key idea of liberalism expressed by Mill, that I live freely when I, when I live, quote-unquote, from the inside, when I listen to the, quote-unquote, inner voice, when I, when I realize my desires, preferences, and life dreams – as long as I have full and complete information and can reason well instrumentally. Everything Marti said was against that. He said that that view was a, was a view for enslavement. I think generally part of what's interesting about Cuba 
right? And what's interesting about uh, what you're you're saying about Marti and Marx is obviously it flies in the face of everything that the U.S. posits uh, in its its uh, global hegemony, hegemony, its its imperialism, as you say. Uh, you know, calling an empire an empire is 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 na- naming what it is. Um, That's right. And rather than, you know, talking about democracy and freedom. Um, and, you know, as you say, uh, the Cubans knew imperialism. Uh, mm-hmm. They understood uh, that to move beyond the imperialist was to have to think differently. And the imperialist European uh, became, as you say, I think, uh, enticing, or maybe Bolivar said, right, enticing to the, the impoverished, uh, defeated, beaten people of mm-hmm. of what we call third world countries right where where you must look to the bright and shiny other world to say you know uh, we've been we do, we must not be very much to always be beaten right? right and i and so we must also be european we must also be like americans we must that's also right. have and gain and get and that's the exact opposite of what marti was fighting for the exact opposite of what castro was doing that's in cuba as well yeah it's it's um it was that realization that uh, depressed Bolivar at the end, you know that he and Marti all the way through, you know he says that the hurdle for Latin American independence is not the the the, the United States, it's Latin Americans ourselves. That's mm-hmm. what he said again and again. And um, Marti had this incredible insight in the 19th century that development the term we use now, they didn't use that then. Mm -hmm. What we call development did not involve being like Europeans. That was a radical insight, Mm -hmm. and that motivated him. And it motivated the Cubans in the beginning of the revolution and all the way through. It's why some scholars say that unless you can understand the early the philosophical traditions of the 19th century, you haven't understood the Cuban Revolution. Mm -hmm. Because it arose out of those traditions. And it's why, uh, right at the very beginning of the Cuban Revolution, I think the very first act of the new revolutionary government was to create the Institute for Film and Television. Mm. Because they saw it so important uh, they thought it so important that Cubans be able to see themselves mm-hmm. and to tell their own history. And Cuba has been phenomenally successful in film and uh, and the arts mm-hmm. generally. That's known about Cuba, but people people don't look for the explanations. Why is it so important? And it's because Cuba has always recognized that in order for people to think freely for themselves they need proper institutions right and building institutions it was what Che Guevara was all about building institutions is um, is a is a, a dialectical process uh, involving individuals and and society right one thing to stress I think that we can you know, we continue to see individual and liberal as this uh, dichotomy against a collective or um, uh, the solidarity of Che, uh, but you know, individuals working together, working within, working alongside each other, working in relationship. You know, this you're not losing your individualness 
you no. know, you're expressing it and growing from sharing it and, and receiving from others as well. You're gaining it. And you right. know why you're gaining it? The basic insight is that as you are collaborating with others and when your sensitivity to others is growing, your understanding of your humanness grows. Right. You know, so at, you start to understand what it means to be, to have a connection with other people at a human level. So, you know, one of the interesting things that we, that we again, I think, see as what seems self-evident, right? <laughs> to say, um, the more you, you uh, um, acquire, the more you, you focus on those um, things that are material in your life, the having of things, uh, the more you put barriers between yourself and understanding the world, your, your neighbor, your friends, uh, yourself. Um, and these things, again, seem self-evident and are primary teachings of every religion, right, <laughs> for the most mm -hmm. part, but even generally common sense teachings in some sense, right? Yeah. The more you have, the less the less you really are in some sense. That's right. Um, but yeah. so we can say that. And again, I think a lot of people will say it and agree with it. But then there's the the actual individualism idea that sticks in, like sticks itself right in between our yeah. understanding of what it means yeah. to give up, right, to give up the things that you have, to give up your ideas even, yeah. Right. It's not. It's exactly yeah. the opposite of getting the things. Right. That like you're taught yeah. to get stuff, and yeah. you can't do them both. Right? No. When you struggle against this, right? Right. This is. This is. It's a really good point that you've made because, in my experience as an academic, I've discovered that it's almost impossible to criticize that view of freedom it's right. so fundamental that people think that freedom is living from the inside mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that even though they'll recognize that oh yes you know it's you solidarity is important and so on and lamentably you know this influence of this philosophical view called liberalism extends into feminism right. extends into queer theory mm -hmm. queer theory is so progressive but that idea of freedom is still there. I've seen it. It's so depressing. You, you just come across. I wrote my dissertation on this 27 years ago, and went, and yeah, I don't think anything has changed because. I, and at that time, to write a well, at any time, you write a dissertation, you have to go through all these texts, right? Mm -hmm. So I spent all my time going through Marxist texts, feminist texts, all sorts of texts, and everywhere I found this same view of freedom. And that's been my experience over the last 27 years. You know, I see all these progressive discussions, but they're, the idea that we are free when we live from the inside, when we listen to an inner voice, when we follow our dreams, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and, so, and if, you, if you hold that view, and most people hold that view without acknowledging that they hold that view because they don't know that there's any other view, mm. Uh, they should go to Cuba and read philosophy and listen, you know, right. to Fidel Castro seriously, respectfully, and then they'll see that there is another way to think of things. But, you know, that that option is like inconceivable. Yeah, that's the important thing to point out, right? It is literally inconceivable. That's right. Exactly. And this is part yeah. of trying to understand yeah. a different worldview is that you absolutely cannot think it. No, you can't. And so... You know, um, the option of making mistakes is not there for um, 
for the Cubans, for example. Right. You know, whatever goes wrong there, it's it's because Cuba is they wrong. Are, right, it's a mistake already. That's right. The whole it, thing yeah, is a mistake. Right. So yeah. the even you can't say the experiment failed. What you say is, that, of course, there it wasn't a thing in the first place. You know, That's right. It, it had exactly. no it had no reality in the first place. Yeah. It was always a failed experiment. <laughs> it's time for another break. This is Banquet de Tyrannos, or Banquet of Tyrants. Another from Pablo Milanes, out of José Martí's collection Versos Libres, published posthumously in 1913. When we return, we'll talk about how the thinking of an oppressed people will be shaped to assist the oppressor. Stay with us for more on Interchange on WFHB. Como en el bosque hay tórtolas y fieras y plantas insectívoras y puras, sensitiva y clavel en los jardines. De alma de hombres los unos se alimentan, los otros su alma dan a que se nutran y perfumen su diente los glotones, tal como el hierro frío en las entrañas de la Virgen que mata se calienta a un banquete se sientan los tiranos pero cuando la mano ensangrentada hunden en el manjar del mártir muerto surge una luz que les aterra Flores grandes como una cruz, súbito surgen y huyen, rojo el hocico y pavoridos a sus negras... This is Interchange on WFHB. Welcome back. I'm your host, Doug Storm. My guest is philosopher and political essayist Susan Babbitt. Our show is Jose Martí, The Whole Revolution. In this segment, we try to look objectively at the bias of democracy especially when that political idea is reduced first to the single act of voting, but then further altered to be voting via consumption. In contrast, we consider what it means to actively pursue political collaboration in a single party system. Los que no llevan del decoro humano ornado el sano pecho, los menores y los segundos. Talk about one party, a one party uh, system too. Uh, I did want you to to talk a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Oh yeah, the one party system. So, so um, that came from Marti, and Marti uh, uh, created the uh, Cuban Revolutionary Party. He was organizing the independence movement, right? And he was actually, I've said that he was a philosopher, and he died right at the beginning of that that last independence. Like the first battle. Like yes, the first time he went he into was. war. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, he wrote, he went into war and uh, people said, well, he shouldn't have gone into war. Right. But he was a very, very skilled politician. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was extremely skilled politician because what he managed to do was to unite all these different factions for this war in 1895 because there had been two previous wars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for independence that failed a big a long 10-year war and then a shorter war in 1879 and the leaders of those wars had different views and Marti was young 
And how did he gain that respect? He went up and down the coast of the United States uniting people. He was a very skilled uh, politician. And he argued for the single party because, and when I read that, I see an epistemological argument. Mm. The thing is that just as you and I have been saying, there are things that are inconceivable because of our institutional uh, the institutions in which we participate. Mm-hmm. And I've seen in the academic world, there are certain things that you just cannot say. You can have all the arguments for it you want, but you, no one will hear you mm-hmm. because it falls outside of what's imagined. And so Marti knew this. And what he knew was that the humanness of Latin Americans and the people of the third world was unimaginable Hmm. within the institutions of imperialism, colonialism. And so the only way to bring about to independence and the the possibility that people could start thinking of themselves as human beings fully and completely and deliberating and thinking freely about freedom was to create new institutions. So you had to have a single party for the for the creation of institutions. And, and Bolivar had the same view, you know, in his constitution for Colombia, he argued for it. You know, when you read it, it looks like he's arguing for dictatorship. Mm. He wanted uh, he wanted strong central government. But he was he was a liberal. He's seen as a liberal by 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 historians. Mm-hmm. And he believed in what the Europeans were saying. But he realized that no European philosopher knew what it meant to be colonized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With the possible exception of Jeremy Bentham. Mm -hmm. But all these people, Rousseau, Locke, Hobbes, they'd never been colonized. They didn't know what it meant, as Bolivar said, to be even lower than servitude, lost or worse, absent from the universe. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what it meant to be non-persons or to be what Fidel Castro used to call sobrantes or leftovers. Mm. And so in order to for, to create free independence, you had to have a single party because you had to be able to transform institutions. Uh-huh. I got gotcha. you. And that's what the single party does in, in Cuba. When you look at if you look at that system fairly and look at the arguments, you see that it um, it, it 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 respects democracy. It respects the rule of the people. It might not always work, Mm -hmm. but theoretically there is an understanding of and a respect for the rule of the people, which is what democracy means. But in order for the people to rule themselves, they need resources. They need, and that's what Che Guevara was about. He said um, in a a famous paper in 1965, he said, well, people say the single party is uh, leads to repression. He said it might lead to repression, but it doesn't necessarily do that. And you have to all, you have to recognize that uh, people without any single party or any government are already repressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're repressed by the thinking that dominates them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he said in an individualist society, people are already repressed. Right. They're already repressed because there are ideas and values being imposed upon them day by day through all their institutions. Right. And I think it's a simpli- obviously a simplistic notion in this country that democracy is simply voting. You know, it's, yeah. it's simply 
uh, saying yay or nay to a particular representative or a particular ideology. Um, That's right. And that the best, and in fact, we're often, we're generally told that our best way to be democratic is to buy stuff a particular way. (laughs) So exercise democracy by buying things a particular way. Um, So it's a real struggle to, to try to, uh, I guess, untether democracy from our sense of, of this system and its voting, um, um, I guess, uh, institution, as opposed to thinking rule of the people and how it might be, yeah. how yeah, it might yeah. come about a different way. Um, yeah. And when you talk about institutions, creating institutions, and you can see how, um, like, multi, not not necessarily multiple parties, but you can see how having uh, I think in this country, a kind of push-pull, uh, constant battle between ideologies and economic ideas creates a constant sort of tension of almost uh, unknowingness, you know, an inability mm-hmm. to say what is good for all of us and, mm-hmm. how, and mm-hmm. how to, you know, move in those directions versus just saying yeah. this is the right ideology, Um and you know, I I can I understand very much what you're saying in some sense to say that this is a single party is a, an idea that we create institutions this particular way, and that mm-hmm. in order to get to the idea, right, the social democratic or you know whatever the idea is, in order to get to the institution, we need to work and talk and be together to yeah, create the institution. The, yeah, the last thing you said I think is crucial. Because um, that's where the primacy of this question that I mentioned that was in the Monte Cristi Manifesto, Mm -hmm. right? That document of war in 1895. And they said their goal was the nature of ideas. Well, when you look at the nature of ideas and you see how our thinking comes out of how we live and that we are understanding our humanness comes through human connection, then the question is not... um, what is the political system or what is the good or what is the future vision? It's a question about how do we discover it Mm. in an ongoing, how do we discover in an ongoing way, day by day, in honestly and with integrity, how do we discover and increase our understanding of what it means to be human and to live together as human beings, Mm -hmm. realizing our full potential as human beings? And when we look at that question of knowledge, then it can motivate us day by day. This is why, you know, people think it's strange that my two areas of research are Jose Marti and early Buddhism. (laughs) But they come together on this point. (laughs) The central point of the question, how do we discover who we are as human beings? And it's a day by day process in which we build our awareness of each other. Mm -hmm through collaborative work towards greater peace and harmony. Hmm. And as we do that day by day, that creates consequences in a practical sense, but it also builds our understanding so that we can create a more humanistic vision. That's what Marx said. You know, Marx never answered the question of what is communism, Hmm. because he said that that understanding has to arise out of the process of Hmm. collaboration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm the historically materialistic dialectic. Right, right. I mentioned this to you, I think, in an email. The, um, the con- I guess the concern or confusion often 
or it's not a con it's not a confusion like so I, I express the fact that I think that the current libertarian uh, right wing think tank world view is very much uh, has very much understood these lessons not to create freedom not not to create human uh, flourishing for everyone mm -hmm. or uh, mm -hmm. but to to know how to manipulate uh, mm -hmm. via institutions, you know, to understand mm -hmm. the power of the idea within the institution, to remake the institution with, with the mm -hmm. ideas, and then to disseminate the mm -hmm. ideas through the institutions. That was their mm -hmm. goal the whole time. And, and in fact, it was, it's been now widely observed that uh, the, Charles Koch in particular studied Lenin mm -hmm. to figure out how to maneuver you know, uh, mm -hmm. operatives, uh, 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 thought operatives, basically, right. within institutions. Yeah. So now yeah. we have yeah. uh, institutional, um, you know, think tanks all over the country, this country and the world, mm -hmm. of course. But mm -hmm. um, this this was the, the basic idea. We create an institution which then disseminates our ideas and then the right. world becomes what we want it to be. I think you're right. And um, it's a huge distortion because Marty said... Um, we want truth, not dreams. Mm. And what that picture leaves out is the access to truth about who we are as human beings, which only comes through loss and giving up and transformation through human connection. So, you know, if you if you if what you want is a certain idea and you're not able to to access truth, or you're not willing to do what it means to get to the truth. Then again, you're just thinking in that invisible cage, as, as Che Guevara said. You're thinking within that bubble. You're, you're a slave right. to your, you know, you're talking about transformation. But what, in what way are you thinking about it? You know, you're thinking about it according to the traditions that you're part of. It's time for our last break. This is Mi Verso Es Como Un Puñal, or My Verse Is Like a Dagger. Coming up, I ask Susan Babbitt about the violence of revolution. Mi verso es como un puñal que por el puño echa flor. Mi verso es un surtidor que da un agua de coral. Mi verso es de un verde claro y de un carmín encendido. Mi verso es un ciervo herido que busca en el monte amparo. Penas, ¿quién osa decir que tengo yo penas luego? Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. For our last segment today, we confront revolutionary violence. Marti's great disciple, Fidel Castro, said of Cuba and the continuing confrontation with imperial power, they have many tanks to spare, but we have just what we need, not one to spare. We have a people who have learned to handle weapons. We have an entire nation which, in spite of our errors, hold such a high degree of culture, education, and conscience 
that it will never allow this country to become their colony again. Well, I, I appreciate that, Susan, but I, I think that the issue for us in, in front of us, and I think that even in terms of uh, Guevara and Marti and Castro, is these men were struggling and fought against imperialist forces, right, against yeah. Uh, yeah. oppression, against the European idea, against uh, being used as resources, you know, not as people. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that is what we, we are confronted with today. Still, yeah. and that you yeah. and I and everyone in the Western world and everywhere else, in fact, but the the places where we don't imagine that we are these slaves or that that we yeah. are uh, oppressed in this way, we are those same people. You know, we yeah. are Marti and Guevara and yeah, Castro, yeah. and we yeah. there is a revolutionary zeal that is clear yeah. in these people, right? So they're yeah. not saying yeah, yeah. they're not saying live your life and no harmony, little by little. That's right. They You're are right making about that. changes. Yeah. Yeah, they are, they've yeah. decidedly uh, took, well, Castro in particular, I think it was actually Che that might have said this, or it may have been Raul, but it basically said, mm -hmm. uh, we, were, we knew how to use guns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Raul, I think, said that, actually. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, this is an issue. And I'm, it's not something I'm necessarily yeah. proposing. But what I'm saying is no, that no. These, these are not just, you know, people who sat around and thought and talked and wanted to figure out how it was to be human. Yeah, no. They yeah. acted on it as well. They acted on the change yeah. they needed to do institutions. They had to act to create those yeah. institutions to free yeah. the people. Yeah. And so yeah, you, what you're describing is um, the dialectic that, 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 that Che Guevara explained, that it has to be those two things, right? Individuals live their lives, and as they live their lives, they understand better who they are as human beings and gain confidence and and more capacities and so on. But that happens in a context of changing institutions. Mm. And it can't be dissociated from that. Mm -hmm. It has to be, when, when Marti formed the single, uh, single party, the Revolutionary Party, it was to create the institutional transformation that would allow individuals to also become free from the prison of their own selves. Right. The two have to go together. So you're very right to bring that in. And it's, um, it's you know, Che Guevara talked about the real revolutionary has to have great feelings of love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if when you read Che Guevara, you see that those great feelings of love do not become possible without the, without the struggle against imperialism. Right, right. Because you can't recognize the people that you're supposed to be loving. Right. Well, and you I don't think even you said, know they exist. Yeah, Marti said something else in this manifesto, right? Uh, if if yeah. if there is war, we'll bring you war. If you know, if there is respect, yeah. we'll give you respect. You yeah. know. Um, but the the issue still, I think, is that we can look at these places too and say, you know, Marti had an enemy in a sense, right? Marti had mm. had to fight against. An imperialist force, uh, yeah. Guevara and Castro as well had an enemy to fight against. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Guevara, I mean, uh, Cuba sends uh, troops to Angola because there is an enemy against uh, a, a people as well. There is a so yeah, there, yeah. there are people that identify an enemy, right? Identify mm -hmm. a, a, an acquisitive, transgressive, imperialist force that is mm -hmm. using other people for resources mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. identify the enemy and then they mm -hmm. they go to war mm -hmm. you know this is our issue like what does that mean for us 
You know, if I if I am to be in the mold, or if I am to think that I'm going to follow Guevara, uh, Castro, Marti, uh, and others, then uh, there there is that kind of work to do too. Yeah, that's right. And um, the daughter of Che Guevara, he she was here um, uh, in my town uh, a few years ago. She said that if her father were alive were alive now, he would be organizing on the internet. <laughs> So, yes, in the 60s, they picked up guns, and mm-hmm. he went to Africa and Bolivia. But, yeah. you know, Che Guevara always said that if there were another way to fight, it would be better than picking up guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you have to be, the idea of the, you have to be moving in a direction. That's what I've always admired about the Cubans. They'll, they're willing to work with anybody as long as they're moving in the direction against imperialism and for the the benefit of the what Fidel Castro called the leftovers, right? So right. that's why he that's why he had so much respect for Pope John Paul II, mm-hmm. who came to Cuba in 1998. Who would have thunk it, you know? <laughs> but uh, it, he said, "Well, he's moving in the same direction as long as he's he's a world leader and he's, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to be moving along." And that's what Che Guevara said. You got to. What it means to be a revolutionary. So, but there's this two parts, right? You can't just be an anti-imperialist and be living in this selfish, self-absorbed way. That's not going to make any difference. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, for Che Guevara and Marti, there's two parts to it. You have to be involved in anti-imperialist struggle, but it matters fundamentally how you're living day by day because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not um, if you're not exercising sensitivity and human connection, you don't have access to truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's dialectical materialism. Right, right. So it matters what you do day by day. There's a very nice quote from, yeah, Che Guevara really emphasized that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it struck me as I hadn't mentioned this yet, and, and it seems like a good place to do it. But the, you know, so this day-to-day struggle, and you, and you can actually, you know, go online, I think, and get YouTube's. Uh, which is an amazing thing, right? You can go and yeah. see and see Castro talk to his men, right? You can see yeah, Guevara. Yeah. You can you can uh, they talk about you know they tell stories and they're philosophical stories as well. They they talk about Bolivar. They talk about trying mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. what it means to be a human uh, thinking in the world and struggling against uh, a, a particular force that that has their has only them as like I said resource. Uh, you know, sees a person not as a person but as a resource. But what is what is what I haven't done yet, or what I hadn't thought about yet, and thought about talking about was, you know, we didn't use the word market here. We haven't talked about the word markets or free markets. You know, this is the other side of this, where mm-hmm. we the the idea that was a Mont Pelerin idea of uh, Friedrich Hayek, right, where he says you know, there's only one there's only one perfect thing. It's the market that never gets anything wrong, and this is to disallow your humanness. Right mm-hmm. to imagine that there is a, a market uh, of of economic transaction that is the only thing that can give us true freedom is mm-hmm. is is to is to fly again right in the face of what you're talking about. You know, it's mm-hmm. entirely the opposite. It means don't be, mm-hmm. don't care about humans, don't care about mm-hmm. your world. Do things, in a, you know, let the market uh, yeah. do things for you. It's very strange. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's a very, yeah, such a yeah. strange world to 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 want to even yeah. think that way. Is that is that a way in which you give up responsibility for life? 
You can just let um, let some, let other forces take over, and then you, like you say, you just live for your your desires, live for your that's right. in, see, insides. Yeah, that's where the confusion about you see the clearly the confusion about freedom, right? Yeah. At the bottom of that view is the view that I'm free if I can get what I want, right. do what I want, mm-hmm. realize desires. You know, you can dress that view up. Yeah, philosophers do. Yeah. But that's sort of the fundamental view. So that says that I'm in control as long as I'm being able to right. f- follow my desires, make my own choices. That's the, that's the language yeah, that's used. Yeah, the choices, right. Yeah, but there's another way to think about freedom that's much more interesting. Uh, it's a bigger challenge, and that's and that's the idea that we create the world that creates us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't exclude the market, of course. I mean, Cuba is struggling with this concept now. But fundamentally, there's a there's a fundamentally different view of what it means to be free at work there, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm free if I can create the world that creates me as a person. Mm-hmm. And that involves my relationships and my capacities. And, and as I do that, I see things differently. I understand things better. Right. Well, it's Depending easy, on the direction that I'm moving, right? Well, it's an easy thing. Again, I think once you, and again, I don't know how to like parse it to say I know how to, to I know what you're saying, and I can, I and I can, I can make all these distinctions and say if I am a practicing artist or a an artisan, a craftsman, there are all these ways in which we sort of put uh, um, work with our hands and and we sort of detach ourselves a little bit from that 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 dastardly thing, the mind, so we can like grow into the process of an activity, right? So that within the activity, we become what the activity is and we shape. And then, you know, the accidents of creation change how we think about the creation as well. And so it's easy enough to kind of move that into human relationships as well and being open to, as you say, creating who you are within those conversations, within those, those sharing moments in life. And then to see the very, the very deadening idea of believing in a particular way to do things, you know, mm-hmm. that, is, that is about um, you know, optimizing your selfishness primarily, right. right? And so yeah. that you are not going to grow anywhere except maybe around the midsection. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, Che Guevara made this point that my students never liked this part of his essay. He said that there are people who go home and they do their art and they create things and they think that they are escaping the alienation of capitalist work environments. He said, but they've forgotten the germs of their own sickness, <laughs> and they're still within an invisible cage, something like that. Mm. And what he means is that the germs of our sickness are is our self-absorption, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be creating right. art and still be in an invisible cage. Sure, sure, sure. If, sure. if what your idea is 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 to is, if you're just fulfilling yourself, right, right, rather than trying to transform the world, right. you know, of ideas or relations or in a certain way, yeah, right? Yeah. Not just any old way. Yeah, it should be in a human way, right? That's our show. 
Our final song is Amor de Ciudad Grande, Love in the Big City, which does not celebrate love or the city, but exposes the degradation of love in a market economy. Bodies are nothing now but trash, pits, and tatters, and souls are not the tree's lush fruit, down whose tender skin runs sweet juice in time of ripeness, but fruit of the marketplace, ripened by the hardened laborer's brutal blows. Thanks to Susan Babbitt for enlightening us on the myth of individualism and the persistent error of the self-made person in Western European thought. Thank you for listening. You can find this and past programs available to download online at wfhb.org slash news slash interchange. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Assistant producer is Rob Schoon. Our studio engineer is Bryce Martin. Wes Martin is our executive producer. Stay tuned for Counterspin, followed by the Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. Que antes a la muerte daba la mano pura que ha ignorado mozo el goce de temer aquel salirse del pecho el corazón el inefable placer de merecer el grato susto de caminar deprisa en derechura del hogar de la amada y a sus puertas como un niño feliz romper en llanto y aquel mirar de nuestro amor al fuego irse tiñendo de color las rosas que son